from, we'll be starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand, English or Spanish. If you do not own a Bible, and I think I can say this, uh, keep the Bible and, and keep it and read it. Keep that Bible as a gift. And if you do own a Bible and you, and you just didn't bring it today, then give it back. Matthew chapter one, verse 18 through 25. Please rise for the reading of God's word. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. You can be seated. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this Sunday, this Christmas season Sunday. We need you this morning. We need the gospel this morning. We need to be made alive afresh every, every day and, and this day. We pray for this word and this morning that it would be a glorious morning of giving glory to you, giving praise to you. We, we love you and we need you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When Pastor Steve had initially asked me to teach, he tries to give me a, a little bit of a heads up before before I get up here. Initially, I had, I had planned on speaking on Genesis 3 and 4, which is Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, and then their kid kills their other kid, which my mother said, wow, that's going to be a heavy sermon, you know? And I was like, well, you know, the people need it, I guess. So, but then I, I was like, it's December 10, it's Christmas. It's Christmas season, so we'll save that for another time. Uh, and and uh, we'll save that one for another time. The sermon's title is, uh, and if we could get the title, it's On the Shame and the Glory of the Gospel or Why You Should Say Merry Christmas Instead of Happy, Happy Holidays, <laughs> LOL. Here, you can take that down. <laughs> Here at Calvary Chapel, you guys are used to this, we go through the whole Bible, book by book, Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Where are you guys in now? You're, I know where you are. You're in Philippians. You guys are in Philippians. The joy, it's about joy, right? Christian living is, is a joyful life. I gotta tell you, when I meet a miserable Christian, I gotta wonder, have you met God? 
Have you met God? Because the God I know doesn't, who, when he's living in, in your heart, you can't just go around, you can't just go around moribund and sad all the time, right? There's joy with Christ. Um, it's a safe way to go through the scripture because you can't miss anything. It allows you, the congregation, to get the whole Bible, the whole picture of scripture as you study through the Bible. And it does not allow your pastor to skip anything he doesn't like, right? And there are parts of scripture that are like, oh, do I have to teach on this? It's, un it's ugh, right? It doesn't, it doesn't allow you to do that. But whenever I come to teach or whenever there's a guest teacher, we don't get that context and Pastor Steve doesn't like it when we jump into the place where he's been. So we have to come and think of something else. Um, and I, so I don't get the luxury of the context of the, of the scripture that you have. This week I got a little bit of help because even if this is your first time in this church or if this is your first time in any church, you have probably heard of Christmas. You've probably heard of the Christmas story. The Virgin Mary gives birth to baby Jesus, lays him in a manger. That's what we're talking about today, Christmas. Verse 18 says, the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is a one verse summary of uh, which the Gospel of Luke gives us more detail. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us more about how this happened. In, verse, uh, in chapter one, verse 26, um, the scripture tells us that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph, who was of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his, of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, also, the holy child shall be called the son of God. Mary was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And while she was betrothed, we'll talk about betrothal later. It's a little bit like being engaged. While she was betrothed, she has this experience. God sends an angel who shows up, right? She's probably sitting down one day and boom, there's an angel standing in front of her and says, highly favored one, and it says she's perplexed. How would you feel sitting down, doing the dishes, and all of a sudden, boom, room's filled with light, and an angel is talking to you? She's perplexed. He says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and though you are a virgin, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Let's be clear. This has never happened 
before and it never will happen again. A virgin conceiving. I'm sure there was a degree of fear that Mary had. She knows how babies are made. She says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. But she believes. She believes. She doesn't, she doesn't understand. She, she believes the Lord. And she says, Mary says, behold the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Mary has a divine experience not only does the Holy Spirit come upon her, she has this conversation with an angel and she becomes pregnant. It's a miracle. I can't explain miracles to you because I can't do them. God does miracles. We talk about them and we worship. God works in her way in a miraculous, she, God works in her life in a miraculous way and she knows it and she believes it. She knows there's a baby being made in her womb it's no, and it's no ordinary baby. That this baby would be unique, that this baby would be different. She knows that God has worked a miracle in her life, that God has changed her life. Perhaps this is the greatest miracle that has ever happened in anyone's life. She knows and she believes, but now she has a problem, doesn't she? She has a couple problems, doesn't she? She, aside from the, pro aside from the fact that what happened is impossible, it's impossible, right? God did it. Aside from that, She's betrothed, right? She's betrothed. She's betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Now, we know from the Gospel of Luke that Mary became pregnant, and shortly after, she went to visit her, her cousin Elizabeth. Her cousin Elizabeth was an older woman, and she had recently experienced her own miracle that as an, even as an older woman, she became pregnant with a baby boy who would become John the Baptist. And she, when, when she sees Mary from the first time, right, when Mary opens the door and says, Elizabeth, it's good to see you. Elizabeth said, she cries out with a loud voice. This is in Luke 1, 42. She cries out with a loud voice, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For how has it happened that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord, what was spoken to her by the Lord. And in verse 56, it said that Mary stayed with her for three months. So Elizabeth believes her. Elizabeth's the perfect person for Mary to live with because at who else is going to believe this story, right? Who else is going to believe this story? She, she stays with her for three months, but eventually she has to come home because a pregnancy is nine months. You don't get to wait any longer. She has to go home back to her family. She has to go home to Joseph. And what would they say? What would you say if your daughter came to you with this, right? Maybe the first person she speaks to is her mother, her mother's, Mary, what, what is this? What's, what, are you pregnant? And Mary says, yes, mom, but listen, okay, it's not what you think. An angel appeared to me and said the Holy Spirit would come upon me and that I would bear the Son of God, the Messiah. And Mary's mom just goes, Mary, that is not how babies are made. You know, 
And then Mary says, well, listen, Elizabeth, she got pregnant in her old age. See, there's miracles. Miracles happen. And she says, Mary, Elizabeth has a husband. Okay. Maybe she talked to her dad next, right? And her dad, I can imagine maybe his fear and his anger. What have you done? Have you ruined? You've, you don't know what you've done. You've ruined your life. What is Joseph going to say? What, what? Ma- Mary, late. Babies don't just pop into bellies. That's not how that works, Mary. Mary, were you raped? Were, were, you, were, were you raped? Were, was, is there a, another, is there a man were you, that you were seeing? What, what, what is this, Mary? No, no, Dad. Like I said, an angel appeared to me and said that the Holy Spirit would overshadow me and that I would bear the Son of God, the Messiah. M- Mary, Mary, that's not how life works. God doesn't do that. God that he, he's never done that. I don't think that they believed her. Um, I'm sure that they thought that she had either been in a secret relationship or that she had been raped. But she never changed her story. She never changed her story, and I'm sure they were very frustrated and angry even. But Mary didn't need them to believe her. Mary needed one person. Who was that? Joseph, her betrothed. Now, what's a betrothal, right? We don't have betrothals here in America. It's, it's a little bit like an engagement, except it's, a, it's a, a lot more official. So in this culture, husbands and uh, uh, parents would get together and say, I have a son, you have a daughter, you know, they should get married. And that would happen when they're younger. But a betrothal was when they had grown up and then when they were old enough and everything worked out, you know, no one was, was, was a terrible person or anything like that and, you know, the husband, he could support the wife and, and then they would go before a priest and they would uh, have this ceremony, it was a legal ceremony and it was a binding ceremony where they would be betrothed for one year, it was usually one year, and they wouldn't live together after this ceremony and they wouldn't consummate the marriage. But during this period, they would call each other husband and wife. They just weren't living together and they, they, uh, they had not come together in marriage yet. And the, this betrothal period had several purposes, but there was two main ones. One is that it was a time for the husband to prepare a house for his bride. He would spend the year building a place for them to live for their new family. And this was Joseph's part. And this is what he had been doing while Mary was away. The other part of the betrothal, funny enough, was to make sure that the woman hadn't, wasn't secretly pregnant by another guy. And that they didn't just rush into a marriage, right? A year is a long enough period of time to know that there's no other babies that no other there's no other babies that are coming from this woman and that any any babies that did come from this marriage were from this man and from this woman think about and that was Mary's part and they and she knew that and he knew that and now Mary had to tell Joseph who had been spending all these months building their house that she was pregnant and that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Goodness gracious. Think about the devastation of that conversation for Joseph. Here's a man who's found this woman. 
He's waited for this woman. He's worked for this woman. We assume that he's in love with this woman because of his response later. They've entered into this pact and she's pregnant. Guys, how would you feel? Brutal, right? Mary presumably loves Joseph. She still wants to be married to him. She knows that she needs him. It's not good that a mother should raise a child on her own. And we know that. A mother needs a husband and a child needs a father. It is hard for me to imagine how painful this conversation must have been. Mary tells Joseph what she's told everybody else. An angel appeared to her and that she would conceive a son that was the son of God and not of any man. And I'm sure Joseph wanted to know too. Were you raped? Was, was, is there somebody else? And she says, no, Joseph, listen, an angel. And I just think he must have been like, stop. I'll give you a ride home. In verse 18, I, honestly, I, can you blame him? I can't blame him. On, in verse 18, her husband Joseph, it says her, her husband Joseph, verse 18, says he, he was a righteous man and he did not want to disgrace her but he planned to send her away secretly. Normally, in a situation where a woman became pregnant during a betrothal, a man had three options. He had three options. Option one is he could demand a public trial for her, which in some cases could end in stoning and execution. The, the law of Moses, the, punil- the penalty for adultery out of ma- outside of marriage, um, which is a sex outside of marriage, was stoning, was execution. So he could have demanded a public trial for Mary, where it's going to be a short trial, isn't it, right? She's pregnant, I'm not the father. It's true that the Jews, since they were under the governorship of Rome, they didn't have the legal authority to try to kill someone but they did still try sometimes, right? They tried to stone Jesus a couple times. They successfully stoned Paul and Stephen. They did still stone people. Most likely there would have been a public trial where Mary would be publicly shamed, loudly shamed and disgraced. If he, and it was her, her shame, which was already growing. She's the only one who knows what's going on at this point. Her shame was already growing and he could bring it to 10 if he wanted to. That's his, that was in, within his right. That's option one. Option two was he could marry her. The law of Moses said that if an, unwoman, an unmarried woman became pregnant, she and her lover could marry. But Joseph didn't want to marry her. He didn't want to marry her because he knew that it wasn't his child. And he knew that she knew that too right? I suspect he didn't think that she had been raped. I sus- because why this crazy story about an angel, right? If you were raped, then, then tell us, right? But he's in pain and he, I, I, I don't, whatever's going through his mind, he's like, he, she's, she's lying to me, right? She's, she slept with someone else and she's lying to me. And by the way, that's a perfectly good reason to not marry somebody if they're sleeping around and lying to you about it. That's a very good reason to not marry someone. He didn't want to marry her. His third option would be to break off the betrothal. This had to be done just like it was entered into 
with witnesses in front of a priest. It had to be done with witnesses in front of a priest if you wanted to break it off. Verse 19 says, he was a righteous man and he did not want to disgrace her. So he planned to send her away secretly. And that begs the question, why? Why? Why did he do this? He hadn't been visited by an angel. As far as Joseph is concerned, this is just a terrible, embarrassing, rotten, shameful situation that wasn't his fault. And now he has to deal with it. And now he's embarrassed. He's been hurt. This beautiful young girl that he's going to marry tells you she's pregnant. Put that, put that together with his response. He didn't want to disgrace her. He was a good man. He was within his rights to publicly shame her, even to ask for her execution, but he was a righteous man. He was a good man. He loved Mary. And even after this perceived betrayal, he did not want to hurt her. Even though he was hurt, he didn't hurt back. Christians, this is what godly men do. They're strong enough not to hurt back. Many of you know this. When I'm hurt, my flesh wants vengeance. It wants to be satisfied, right, with justice or whatever, or what I think is justice. The man God chose did not seek the satisfaction of revenge. He decided to seek to, to secretly as possible break off the betrothal, get some witnesses who weren't gossips, and go to a priest and end it and move on and put the shame behind him. But, and that's the glorious word in scripture, isn't it? When something terrible has happened and there's nothing on earth that any human being could ever do to fix it, God says, but it doesn't end here. Do you know that God has that power in your life he has this power in your life to take a shameful situation, a painful situation and say, but it's not over. It's not over. To Joseph, full of shame and pain, he says in verse 20, when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child has been conceived in her. For the child which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. God not only chose Mary, he chose Mary, God chose Joseph. He knew that Mary and Joseph, that Mary and baby Jesus would need Joseph. As Mary nursed Jesus, they would need Joseph to work and provide for them. They would need Joseph to protect them from evil men with his fists and from devils with his prayers. He, to the people who said, hey, Joseph, did things get out of hand between you and Mary? You know what I'm talking about? He would have to say, you know what? That's none of your business. To the people who said, hey, Joseph, was Mary partying a little too hard when she traveled to visit her cousin? You know what I'm talking about? He'd say, you want to talk about my wife and my son? Maybe we should talk outside. They, they would need Joseph to shield them from the judgment that the whole world would have for them. For this mother who was mysteriously pregnant out of wedlock and her out of wedlock baby, that mother and that child 
For, for them, Joseph would be a shield. God knew, and so he gives Joseph what he needs to believe. He tells Joseph by an angel that everything Mary had said was true and that he should marry her. He doesn't rebuke Moses. He doesn't rebuke Joseph. He doesn't rebuke him. God knows this is crazy, right? Earlier in another vision with, uh, with John the Baptist's father, who's very old, uh, an angel appears to him and he's like, what, what's, I don't know, how, what is this? And the angel rebukes him. Joseph, he doesn't rebuke. Joseph he says, this is what's going on, Joseph. Now go. And Joseph believes. Verse 24 says, Joseph awoke from sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife. There's no doubt in his mind anymore. He knows. There's two people. Well, there's three people who know. There's Elizabeth, but she's far away. And there's Mary and there's Joseph. And Jesus, when he grew up, they knew that was enough. They knew that this was no normal baby. And in Luke 1.32, they knew that this baby would be great, that he would be called the son of the most high, and that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, and that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and that his kingdom would have no end, and that he would save his people from their sins. They forsook the shame, and there was shame. There was shame. Even as an adult, people were flicking Jesus for what had happened with his mother. The Pharisees said to Jesus when, when they were challenging him, we're not born of fornication. We know who our fathers are, right? They forsook the shame. They forsook the shame, and they followed the plan. God's glorious plan of salvation that he, with this baby, would save people from their greatest problem, from their greatest problem and from, from your greatest problem. You have this problem. I have this problem. He would save them from their sin. That he, with this baby, would establish an everlasting kingdom where there would be justice for once and peace and that of this kingdom there would be no end. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the shame and the beginning of the overshadowing glory of the gospel, that this baby born by this woman, raised by this man, and this is from the Nicene Creed, that he, the one and only Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence of the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, being made incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was found as a human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will never end. Amen. 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 The glory of the gospel is that that baby that Mary nurtured, that baby that Joseph defended, that he became the perfect son of man and the perfect son of God and that he came for you and for me. 
And if you're here this morning and you've never believed that, this is the morning. Jesus came for you. He knows your shame. He knows everything you've done. He knows about shame. He knows about you. And he sees you. And he declares that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. He was nailed to a cross, dying for your sins and for my sins. And the first words that he uttered were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the last words that he said were, it is finished. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what he did. And he's done it all. Not just for you. He came for the whole world. He came for the whole world, for the people that you, you just can't imagine. Right? John 3, 16, many of you have this verse, verse on your refrigerators. It said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This savior whose parents despised the shame of their peers, who himself despised the shame of the cross, delivered salvation to all who were, would believe and would save this evil world as it hurtles towards depravity to establish an everlasting kingdom which you can be part of. This savior is not just for you and not just for me. If it stops with me, something's up. I don't understand something about the gospel if I'm just happy the way I am. The gospel saves me from my biggest problem. It saves the world from the world's biggest problem. That we are corrupt. We are wicked. And that without a savior, things will go from bad to worse and from worse to unspeakable. Your neighborhood, your city, your nation, this world is in grave danger. They are not only in danger for, of the judgment for their sins to not inherit eternal life, the judgment of hell. They are in danger of the natural consequences of their godless behavior. Their godless behavior. Some people call this the judgment of abandonment. God stopped taking care of you and look what's gonna happen next. What do I mean by godless? Friedrich Nietzsche, a, f a famous atheist, he said almost 200 years ago, God is dead and we have killed him. But that's not new. In Psalm 2, it says that the kings of the earth have taken their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us tear their shackles apart and throw their ropes from us. Godlessness is this declaration. God will have no say in my life. I will not honor him. I will not do what he wants. Instead, I will do what I want. That's godlessness. I am my own God. Of the godless, Scripture declares in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And in verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the, of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals, claiming to be wise. 
they became fools. In the, in the 1900s, there was this movement of real sharp tooth, smart atheism. But that's gone away. And what's left is worse. It's a debased, passionate humanism. It's not smart. It's loud. It's passionate. It feels right? That's what's coming. That's what comes next. And that's not just my prediction. That's what God told us in Romans would happen when a culture says God is dead and we have killed him. We don't need the crutch of religion. We are enlightened. We don't need the burdens and shackles of God we will become gods ourselves. We will transcend, we will ascend, we will evolve, become greater than our ancestors. But it doesn't go that way. It can't go that way. We're seeing it now. As our world has cut itself off from the life-giving root, we are beginning to experience that the fruit is rotten. Scripture concurs in Romans 1:24. God gave them over to sinful desires, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. We don't become free by unhitching ourselves from God. We become slaves to degrading and vile passions. There can be no pursuit of reason if there is no reason giver. If there's no reason giver, there's no reason. There's nothing to look for. We cannot pursue order and try to find out order if there's no orderer. There's no way to know if anything is ordered if there is no orderer. The only thing that there is, if I've unhitched myself, cut off the root, killed God, the only thing is pleasure. Oh unhitched from our creator the only truth is what we know and feel in ourselves and we become animals Romans continues with this degradation in verse 28 it says furthermore they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God so God gave them over he gave them over he just stopped being involved, stopped restraining. God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent new ways of doing evil. They are disobedient to parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. We're seeing it. We're starting to see it. And it's gonna get worse if we do not return to God. And returning to God starts in this room. It starts in this 
room except for that baby, except for that savior, except for the gospel which some of you know, some of you know, a gospel for which you will be shamed like Jesus, like Mary, like Joseph, a gospel for which you will be called a bigot, an idiot, for which you will be called weak, Christian, see what is before you. You have been made alive in Christ. Consider what has happened to you. You were like a cold iron placed into the fire of the living God. And though you retain your eyes and your nose, you have changed. And you have taken on the properties of this living divine God and you burn. Don't hide that light and heat under a bushel. You are alive. And the only people who enter everlasting life are people who are alive. Dead people do not enter everlasting life. Only these people who have been made alive by this divine fire of God's Holy Spirit enter into heaven. And some of you sitting here, you are cold and dead and you know it. You know it. I don't know it, but you do. You know that your heart is cold. And today could be the day that you are placed into that fire for the first time and become a living soul, part of the living city of God, the living body of God, of which Christ is our head. Today could be that day. The great hope for this world is the gospel. So I will not pretend that Christmas is equivalent to in what it represents to Hanukkah, to Kwanzaa, or to Diwali. They might offer good food, but they offer no hope. There is only one hope for this world. He was delivered 2,000 years ago, and he was laid in a manger, and his name is Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed, and you shouldn't be either. Because of this great hope, because of the risen Christ who died for my sins and for the whole world, I will joyfully declare... Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this great hope, God. It's not of, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. You have done this work, God. You have, you made the way. You appeared to Mary and you appeared to Joseph and they despise the shame, and Jesus despised the shame, and he's risen from the dead, and he's alive still. And, and he's in this room too, Lord. We thank you that he is still alive. We love you, and we need you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.